0: Hey friends, John White here for Nick Cordy. Before we start this week's episode, we just wanted to say that we're going to be at VMworld 2018 US this upcoming week in Las Vegas. We still have an episode that we recorded coming out next week, but we wanted to offer up an opportunity to those of you who might be at VMworld as well. If you're interested in a career coaching session with us, just send us a DM on the at nerd handle with what you'd like to get out of a coaching session. Possible topics might be how to steer towards the SE career, other there core options working for a vendor, like a technical account manager, specialist, or implementation consultant, or whatever it is that you might want to know? We'll need your resume to review and go over with you before we actually sit down at the show, of course, and we'll try to schedule as many as we can during the show. In addition, let us know if you're interested in being an anonymous guest on an episode, uh, but that's not a requirement. We'll also try to tweet out our breakfast, lunch, and dinner plans as we figure out what we're doing each day. Follow us collectively at NerdJourney, Journey, myself, John White, at VJourneyman, and Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore to coordinate. We'll both be at the show from Sunday through Thursday, so hit us up earlier rather than later. Okay, on to the episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number five. We're going to be joining you every week to talk IT career news and opinions based on our points of view, of course. I'm your host, John White, on Twitter, at Journeyman, joined by my co-host, as always, Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going?
1: Hey, it's going great, John. just want to make sure everybody knows we're both VMware systems engineers and our topics are going to have a data center slant. But we hope that our career discussions will be relevant across the disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, definitely drop us a positive review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet or DM
0: at Nerd Journey.
1: Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey.
0: A journey to virtual enlightenment.
1: So let's take a trip.
0: Awesome. Awesome. How's that uh, opening going for you, Nick?
1: Let's see, that was numero cinco. I think we're getting there. Yeah, I think. I mean,
0: it's still the best thing we have. Yeah, the only thing that we thought up so far. So I guess we'll stick with that, right? Yeah. (laughs) Dance with who brought you. That's right. That's right. Always be iterating. Iteration is key. (laughs) So let's get to topics. We are going to talk about an article on the Harvard Business Review online magazine how to improve your sales skills, even if you're not a salesperson. We found another article. I think we might start a recurring feature, uh, a brand new feature on the podcast. Um, Questionable LinkedIn advice. And I'm not saying that the advice is questionable, but we're just asking a question about whether it is questionable.
1: Oh, there is questionable advice out there.
0: Definitely questionable advice out there. So we are going to... Uh, come across, you know, review something that comes across the, the feed, uh, talking about Twitter, uh, LinkedIn advice, and then mention or give a, give our feedback on it. Whether we think, you know, any of the individual points have merit, um, whether there's good advice, uh, whether it's overall bad advice, et cetera, et cetera. So let's talk about this, uh, first topic. How to improve your sales skills, even if you're not a salesperson, from the Harvard Business Review. Uh, this was an article from May 2017. I, you know, just some background. I, I was uh, really thinking about subscribing to Harvard Business Review. I was uh, in an airport very recently over the uh, holiday break, and the in a bookstore, and you know, as you know, airports tend to have. Uh, there was a display and it just had, you know, a bunch of digests of Harvard Business Review um, articles. And, and one of the uh, things was about sales. And we have to deal with salespeople all the time, you know, generally walking uh, arm in arm with them into uh, a customer uh, visit or joining them on calls. So, You know it it kind of behooves me to read up on sales and and understand that sales mindset and and i thought that this was especially useful for people who are it practitioners who are looking to break into uh, the systems engineering side of things or even the direct sales side of things Um, you know you have to kind of couch your experiences as an it professional as you know selling your ideas and i think that you've talked about that in in previous podcast episodes so um i thought that when i saw this article on the harvard business review and we'll definitely put a link in the description and on our website um you know how to improve your sales skills even if you're not a salesperson i I thought well this is you know terrific this is exactly the the kind of um hints and perspective that you know, our listeners would probably be looking for if they're looking to to make that advancement into, you know, more of a vendor sales or you know channel sales role. So, um, I wanted to kind of go over uh, what it said and and kind of react to it as well. So,
1: but I mean, I T John, I don't need to know how to sell. Come on now. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Mister uh, Devil's Advocate. <laughs> no problem. Nick with the Devil's Advocate hat on. Yeah, I I think you absolutely do need to sell, um, on a probably on a daily basis. And I, I think that, um, you're the one who said this to me once. You know, you, if you're working on Help Desk, even, somebody has a problem and you have to sell them on the idea that your solution is what they should actually pursue because a lot of times when people call in and they have a problem, they think that they know the answer and it's something complex that you should be doing. And a lot of times that's not the right thing. So, um, you know, you, you need to sell them on the idea that your idea is the best way to go. Uh, if absolutely. uh, Yeah. Alternatively, I think talking about it projects and getting those approved and, uh, you know, that could be the best thing for the company in your opinion. Um, but how do you actually get the project that you think, you know, should be the top priority to be the top priority in everybody else's mind? And, and right. how do you actually move that forward to get it funded? Um, again, that's a, you know, something else that we talked about in a previous pro project, uh, podcast episode, how to, our, uh, upcoming, uh, proposed vmug talk how to get your project funded you know Mm -hmm. when you know it's a sales process you know it's selling somebody on your ideas it's and and maybe when i say sales you know that's a you know it's a synonym for persuasion right
1: yeah that's really what it is i mean and i think that the it person or technologist working the help desk or doing systems administration maybe we don't think about some of the things we're doing in terms of the fact that it really is sales at the end of the day, you know. And when you step back and look at it or step outside of it and really take a look at it or, you know, try to move to an SE type role like some people, you you realize that, oh, man, I really was doing a bunch of sales there. But, you, you, you know, you know. You reflect on it, and and you think about it. Yeah, I'm really persuading people to change the solution to something else. Hey, I really need Microsoft Project. Well, do you really need Microsoft Project, or would something free like Gantt Project work? Or what is it you're actually trying to do? Tell me more about it, because if I don't know what they're doing or anything about their project, I can't persuade them in one way or another, right? Right. And I think that's part of the, the mission here, regardless of your field. Maybe it's not technology. Maybe you are trying to convince your spouse that it's a good idea to move somewhere. Mm. That is a sales pitch. I mean, you're probably going to have to do some research. And if if one of you is the, the free spirit and the other is the penny pincher, it's probably going to be the free spirit that's pitching to the penny pincher.
0: <laughs> right,
1: you know this won't cost as much as you think, and here are the reasons that justify that cost.
0: It's funny because the you know you're saying the things that I said, but the uh when I hear you say it, the more I realize that you know being in this role and thinking about things in a sales perspective is what makes me equate persuasion with sales right and and outside of a sales role, everybody else would say, "Oh no, you're just trying to persuade somebody." And only inside, you know, or nearby somebody who's in a sales role do you think about any kind of persuasion as sales. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we want that label, you know, because you have this stereotypical vision of the slick back salesperson who's a shyster and not really having your best interest in mind, just trying to
0: hit their number. Right, right. Make a sale, used car salesman, mm-hmm. mattress salesman. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, okay. But you,
1: but you do have to know your audience. I mean, that's part of the, the process here. Right. If we go back to the analogy about the, the spouses, if I know that you're someone who, or my wife, you know, let's say she doesn't like to spend money, for example, if if that were true, if she didn't like to spend money. And oh. I was the one who really liked to spend money and I was trying to get her in on some kind of purchase. So I would have to have some, some really good reasons and, and know what, uh, what value is to her. Right? right. This is a valuable thing in our lives. So I'm willing to let go of some cash for it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting because that, you know, I kind of wrote up a summary of the points that I, I really found valuable in this article and you know, the first part is really researching the quote-unquote customer, right? The person that you're trying to persuade, the person that you're trying to sell your ideas to. And you, and in order to do that, you know, you really need to know a lot about them, the things that they value, and the things that are important to them. And I think that that's something that when I was an IT professional, I never took the time to do. It was always about me and my perception of the company that I worked for, Right? I think that this is the most important thing for the company, and this is the the project that will advance that most important thing for the company. And I and therefore it is, (laughs) yeah. And therefore, you know, my assumptions about things, you know, were a certain way, and all of my projects were couched towards those assumptions. You know, so you know, I was always correct, and then it was flabbergasting that you know my projects were not approved. You know, because. You know, nobody ever explained to me, well, no, you need to find out, you know, what is important, the most important thing to the company or to the project approvers, you know, like, what do they think is the most important thing to the company? Or what are the the things that they value for the company, you know, or we're given guidance to value. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when projects are evaluated on that basis by those people, you need to understand what that basis is and those people's perception of those values and if you don't take the time to do that then you're you're just kind of rolling the dice you know that what you perceive is true is the exact same thing that they perceive is true and that's just uh it's unnecessary it's risky and then it's an unnecessary risk you have the ability to research and ask questions about you know what's important and to couch your project or ideas in those terms so
1: i feel like saying devops
0: yeah it's, it's interesting. You know, DevOps is definitely, um, you know, discussed in those terms, right? You know, uh, faster time to market, you know, and more stability and uh, and better better products and, and faster iteration on products. Um, okay. If that is important to the company, then, you know, DevOps, you know, is a process that can do that.
1: I think I meant it more in the understanding And getting to know people in other departments and their challenges outside of just yours because like you said we we get this mindset we're in the weeds and we want something to make security better or our lives easier because we're overworked or something of that nature and it's a little more difficult than you might think to step outside your own bubble and really focus on the bigger picture like you said it it stinks when someone tells you, no, that's not the company's priority. Even though you think we need to move everything to the cloud and move it to AWS or Azure, whatever. That's, that's really not what we want to do. We actually need to focus on rolling out this new payroll system ASAP because ours is horrible Mm. and, and it's keeping people from getting paid on time.
0: And that's our biggest problem right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know fundamental understanding of what is the priority mm-hmm. right so if you had a project that you know if the way that you're pitching it was competing with a payroll project and they're like well no that has you know that's going to compete with the resources we need for the payroll project and payroll project is the most important thing It you know it's priorities one two and three you know the answer is no as opposed to hey here's you know a side project that i have it's going to take you know uh you know twenty hours uh over the next month, and it will accelerate the payroll project by more than twenty hours, then okay, well, now I'm listening, right
1: <laughs> yep, and hopefully you have to know your audience, know about them, know what their problems are, but you but by knowing that, hopefully it gives you some inkling as to the best way to communicate what you want to say to them
0: right yeah, yeah
1: because if if my boss is a phone guy and i continually send him emails about important things that's probably not the best way to do it
0: <laughs> right just right fundamentals of like the modalities of how people communicate yeah
1: yeah because that's going to be part of your pitch part of your idea pitching to whoever it is and hopefully you've, you've thought about it and maybe given it some, some practice. Yeah. Do you ever, have you ever done that, you know, before you go pitch something to your boss, maybe run through your slide deck or kind of mentally run through what you want to say? What's your strategy on that one, John?
0: Yeah. Um, I want to say as an IT practitioner, I never did that, which was probably <laughs> yet another reason why I didn't you know, succeed as, as often as I probably should have looking back, um, you know, to, to put together a cogent pitch, you know, and practice it, you know, and really, you know, A, do the research and then B, practice, you know, um, uh, you know, over and over again, couching, you know, various projects or various ideas in terms of the priorities of the other person is something that I never did. You know, um, I think that I probably got that practice once I was working in the channel and, you know, one of my jobs was to go around and teach, uh, various, uh, sales teams and systems engineering teams about the VMware portfolio. And I had to adjust, you know, what was a standard teaching deck to the concerns that these people voiced. And, you know, once I heard what their, you know, primary concerns were, then i could basically adjust every single point that was in the deck to those concerns so that's how i got my practice it was after i left um being an it practitioner which was you know later than it should have happened so
1: right i'd like to share a story about a guy that that worked the help desk under me at one of my former employers mm-hmm. he had a he had a really good idea for a particular technology we should adopt i don't remember what it was but i do remember him coming to me cuz i was you know kind of the supervisor and then we both reported to a manager above me who was the it director and then of course he would report to the execs right. so if he could sell me on it then we needed to sell my boss and he he sold me on it. i thought he had a good idea and i said okay i want you to go talk to our boss about this mm-hmm. and he got he got kind of nervous you know he, well, i i'm a little i'm a little intimidated i'm I'm kind of scared because I don't interact with him that much. I said, that's exactly why you need to go do it. Mm. You need that practice of pitching your idea to someone else. You know, I'll help you polish it and kind of coach you to saying things the right way so that it communicates what you want to say clearly to this person because I've had more interaction with them than you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But I want you to do it to gain that experience, you know, whether he – successfully got it approved or he didn't that experience was was really i think the most valuable thing, so that you can get used to this process
0: Ah, uh, so you're you're kind of saying this might not be critical to the company i think it's a good idea but i want you to have practice pitching your ideas so when the idea is critical it's not going to be the first time that you're pitching it
1: right and the next time you have an idea you will feel more comfortable pitching it and maybe this initial experience with pitching your first idea that you thought was valuable will give you some insight from people above you as to what they think is important mm-hmm. because this guy did not have a lot of interaction with our boss. right? So just that one conversation could really – if you reflect back on it and think about how it went. And, and the person on the other side of the pitch is is willing to give you that feedback and be open and honest and not just shut the door in your face and you know, give you some reasons as to why they said no, that can really help you know how to better structure your pitch the next time Yeah, so that really you point. are striking when the iron's hot and on something that is important enough to be valuable to them.
0: Very true. Very true. The importance of practice. And the importance it's, of uh, critical feedback, too. Uh, um, yeah. Really oh point.
1: yeah, that iteration. <laughs> so did it you? Just sit keeps in, coming up.
0: Did you sit in on the on the pitch and and give your uh, report the feedback, or did the boss do it?
1: I let the boss do it,
0: okay. and I I think I don't remember,
1: but I want to say I went and talked to the boss and said, "Hey, i I want him to pitch this to you," you know. It's coming. I'm not going to tell you much more than that, but Mm -hmm. I want him to do it to get the experience. Okay.
0: Nice. That uh, opens up a whole discussion on uh, developing people who report to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's Put put that down as a future topic. Future topic. Future topic.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. If I had a dollar for every topic we came up with on the fly.
0: All right, so uh, one of the other things that you definitely do need to work on is understanding the path forward, and that kind of broke down into uh, two things. One is the, you know, quote unquote, quote uh, path to close. This is a, uh, a a phrase that salespeople use all the time internally. What's the path to close? And that is, you know, what are all the processes that need to be met in order for the customer to sign a purchase order, right? So the analogy for um, a non-sales role is what are all the things that need to be done in order for my idea to be approved and adopted or for the project that I'm pitching to be approved and funded? And that means understanding, you know, say it's a project, if it's under $100,000, then this person has the ability to just say... Yeah, sure. You know, for projects that are less than a hundred thousand dollars, I can just say yes you know, out of my discretionary budget. But if it's over a hundred thousand dollars, then it needs to go to this, you know, review committee. Um, so, you know, what is your, you know, project budget and, uh, you know, to to understand, you know, those branches and, and where you fall and, and who needs to approve it. So maybe the project you you were thinking of did legitimately cost $150,000. So it was, you know, did need to go to that committee. So now you need to understand all the people who sit on that committee and, you know, what they care about. Remember we said, research, the quote unquote customer, you know, initially it was maybe your manager that you were approaching about it. And that manager said, well, it needs to go to this committee because of the budget. Great. Great. So now you need to do the research on the members of that committee who, you know, are approving budgets for this project and and understand what they care about. And it's not always the things that you think about, right? It might be somebody from the office of the, the CFO, the chief financial officer, and they are there to represent, you know, constrained budgets. And it might be somebody from a project management office that is, you know, trying to, you know, legitimately hold down, you know, how, subscribed the project managers are in running projects and so there there are a number of uh, constituencies all concerned about specific things so you have to understand all those constituencies and again change your pitch to meet the things that they're going to be concerned about
1: yeah and it, it may be a different experience at a big company versus a small company you know some companies may not have a budget cycle necessarily but hopefully they have some sort of approval process in place like you mentioned that it goes to this person and then it goes to the person above them based on the dollar amount. Absolutely, at least that's what, that's what I found, you yeah, know, so maybe a little less red tape in the SMB, but the approval structure is usually still there.
0: Yeah. So, you know, honestly, um, in my experience at the company that I worked for, I was the it manager and I reported directly to the general manager of the company. So, you know, I was pitching him on a project that, you know, was going to cost a million dollars or more. And he's like, well, we need to go to the owner for this, right? So Mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, the the owner probably represented, you know, hey, I need to push the capabilities of the company forward. I need more revenue. I need, you know, it was an ERP solution, so I need a better, you know, better accounting. You know, all of those constituencies sat in one brain, right? And the general manager was there to advise him on, you know, some of the things that he was you know, maybe not able to represent all in his head all at the same time. So, you know, there was um, a constituency of two, right? Which in a a small company is probably pretty common, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yep, I would agree. And it's great because you don't actually have to do this alone once it gets to a certain point. Hopefully the, the people above you are willing to go and, you know, even if they just sit with you in the room while you give the pitch, it gives you a little more confidence to, to get your point across, maybe you don't feel as alone, so to speak.
0: Right, right. And you have to, I would say, you know, part of this is calibration too, right? Um, I think that once I probably did the opposite problem, like I was talking about something that, you know, budget-wise was too small to my boss, right? It was like a $9,000 purchase or something like that. And at the end of, like, eight minutes of talking, he's like, wait, how much are we talking about here? And I was like, oh, it's $9,000. He's like, okay. So we just had a pipe break out the back. um, And I just spent $15,000 in plumbing and landscaping and water. So, yeah, just go do it. You know, this is too small. (laughs) (laughs) I needed to understand that, like, ahead of time. And it was just an experience thing, right? Like, I realized, okay, if it's under $10,000... Then I really need to adjust my pitch, you know, to put that dollar figure up front and go, "Hey, I want to spend like six thousand dollars. I think it'll save us, you know, twenty thousand over nine months, you know, to, to you know, really kind of put that up front instead of have like the dollar at the end, right?"
1: Right. Well, yeah, because a lot of times you think executives, you don't want to show them the price up front because that's all they'll focus on, and they won't listen to you talking. Or maybe that's just me stereotyping.
0: Yeah, I, I think that. That's, you know, in general, if I said, Hey Nick I'm gonna buy a hundred thousand dollar car, like what's the next thing that I'm gonna say that you're gonna listen to? Like, you know, not much, right? Um, no, I stopped after a hundred thousand right, dollars. Right. You know, and uh but if I said, Hey, I wanna buy like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar, you know, tractor trailer rig for my distribution company and you know, that's actually a discount from two hundred and fifty thousand and you know, contrast that to the lease price, which is you know, you know, it's it just you know, it's you have to, you have to understand how to like you know scale those numbers and and what the significant figures are for the specific you know, like thing that you're talking about, right? I want to spend a sure. hundred thousand dollars to save three hundred thousand dollars. Like if you if you say it in one sentence like that, you know, with the numbers really close, you know, then I think you know you're more likely to. Be heard.
1: Yeah, I like that. That's a good point. Yeah. Any things you anything you would say uh, don't do?
0: Yeah, so those are the three do's. Like uh, the again from the article and kind of my reactions to them. The the three don'ts: don't tense up, don't talk too much, and don't let early failure be the end of the conversation. All right, so let's take those in order. Uh, tense up. Don't tense up, uh, you know, that's that's an experience thing. That's one of the reasons why you practice and why you do the thing over and over again. Um, I think that one of the things that people say to me in other contexts, I don't want to try that. I'm worried that I'm going to be bad at it, you know? And mm. it's probably something I've already said on the podcast and, and um, probably say it again, don't worry. It's the first time that you're going to try it. You're definitely going to be bad at it. (laughs) No question. Right. You know, and some people, you know, just seem like naturally good at these types of things. And I, to that, I always say, you know, that's baloney. Right. I usually use different words, but not an explicit podcast. uh, It's baloney for the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, there's only people that were bad at it when you weren't watching. (laughs) Maybe it was a long time ago.
1: Or they're bad is actually a lot better than you're good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nope. That's never the case. People are always bad at things at the beginning because they haven't done it before. There's, I mean, I'm sure there's like some natural talent, but in play, but, you know, probably, you know, if there's video of uh, Michael Jordan, the first time he tried to dribble the ball, he was bad at it. Period. There, you know, nobody was good at like a skill. That's important and complex the first time they tried it, right? The end. (laughs) Fair enough. Right. I always, this is, you know, you know, side note, like one of my hobbies is swing dancing. So I always, this is when it always comes up when I try to get my friends to come swing dancing and they say, ah, what if I'm not good at it? And I always say, don't worry, you're not going to be good at it. then you're going to be surrounded by 40 people that are also not good (laughs) at it. Like that's, that's the whole idea. (laughs) That's great. Right. And, and it actually is again, in the side note, it's one of the things that convinced me to try new things, right? Because um, it put me kind of in a beginner mindset again and Mm -hmm. the willingness to like experiment and be bad at things and learn them. And, you know, realizing that again, you know, maybe one of my strengths is that I learn things quickly Um, not necessarily true for everybody, but it was true for me and, uh, and, uh, you know, kind of put me in a kind of a different mode of like, well, maybe I should stretch outside my, uh, career, um, where I am exactly where I am right now and try new things. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So tensing up, right? So you're, you are going to tense up. So that's one of the reasons why you should practice. You should practice doing the thing and relaxing. Second yep. point to avoid, talking too much. You know, and, and that's a, a natural natural result of, uh, of being nervous, I think, and, and thinking that you need to dump all of the information for the person that you think that they might need to make a decision all at once. And that is not the case. Right, I so. think.
1: Oh, sorry. I was yeah. going to jump in real quick. Yeah. I had my mentor tell me recently, you know, don't use weak words. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole thought process on strong versus weak words. But I think that when we get nervous, we naturally tend to fill short periods of silence with, uh, or so when it's okay to take a slight pause and think for a second because you're going to be nervous. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you haven't had the experience, but if you're saying the words to just say words, it probably isn't going to be valuable to the conversation. If that makes sense,
0: you're talking about filling silence. Hmm. Yeah, totally understand. Yeah, that.
1: it doesn't. It doesn't add to your to the point you're trying to make.
0: Yeah, filling silence is uh, not valuable. Usually, not valuable, right? So, if somebody isn't saying something and you're actually done talking or at the end of an idea, I, I can I can understand. Like, if you know there's a silence, like we just feel this need to fill it, and sometimes you don't, or you ask a question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you need a second to uh, to think about that? Um, is there more information that you need right now? Should I continue? I like that. Right? Yeah. These are these are things that you can uh, that you can say. So, yeah, that's good. So then, I think the last point was, um, letting failure being an end of the conversation. Don't do that, right? So if someone says, "Hey, no, I don't think that's you know a project that we can do right right now or in 2017." you and I are recording this in 2018 and it's definitely something that I heard a lot in 2017. Hey, I don't think we can do this <laughs> this year. That, you know, there's, that's fine. You know, that, that type of answer, you know, can mean a, a couple different things. And you know, to, again, you have to calibrate your relationship with a person, but you know, I usually try to, try to, to clarify what that means. Is that means, does that mean that you legitimately don't think you can get it done this year? Uh, but that we should talk about it next year? Uh, Does it mean that you don't want to do it, but you're too polite to say, hey, we're not going to do that at all? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, if they say something like, I don't think we have the budget for that in 2017, does that mean they have a lower budget that they could get it done at? You know, so if you're pitching an internal project, like that's definitely something you need to calibrate for. Okay, is there you know, I gave you the extra large version of this project, uh, maybe I give, need to give you the medium-sized version, you know, where we just dip our toe into it, or do, uh, like, a small proof of concept, and then expand it, and, uh, and then a different budget year, right? So, you need to understand what no means, and, and sometimes you just need to, need to walk away and say, okay, great, um, I'm gonna retreat and uh and think about this and, and talk to you about it maybe a couple weeks from now with some refinements. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, that's good. And I don't think it's ever wrong to ask that. Hey, can we talk about this again on such such timeline? Right. right. And they'll either tell you yes or no. <laughs> no, I don't want to <laughs> talk about that ever again.
0: Okay, right, then your right. no really was never. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Cool. So that was uh, how to improve your sales skills, even if you're not a salesperson. Do research about the customer and empathize with them, their point of view. Do practice. Do understand the path forward. And uh, we specifically talked about the path to close. Don't tense up. Don't talk too much. And don't let early failure be the end of the conversation.
1: It's the journey, not the destination, right?
0: (laughs) Always. Always. Cool. Do you want to talk about, uh, our new feature then, uh, questionable LinkedIn advice?
1: (laughs) So John found this article about three things you must do on LinkedIn every day. Now, I mean, hopefully everybody out there is posting really crazy things on LinkedIn every day, maybe fake news or how to, how to get recruited or what recruiters should do differently or what you ate for breakfast, all those things. But it's interesting. Do you get on LinkedIn every day, John?
0: I would say that I do. Um, which is interesting. It's a weird reaction to that question, you know, cause I didn't even really think about it until you, you asked me the question. <laughs> I think I do look on LinkedIn every day, but I think that LinkedIn is trying to get me to do that by having a daily kind of news update. Um, hey, here's three things that, you know, everybody's talking about, or you should be thinking about today, which is, you know, a really good idea for their business model, right? So whether or not I agree that those are three things that I should be thinking about today, uh, you know, they sent me the alert, and I clicked on it, you know, end of story. So, (laughs) um, you know, and maybe I have those moments, you know, while, uh, you know, I'm waiting for a meeting to start, and I, you know, have five minutes to kill, and so I, I jumped on, uh, you know, my phone, and I look for different news sources to, to, kind of fill fill my time, and so, at least once a day, I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. Hmm. I,
1: hate, I that. hate to admit it, but I mean, I usually am on LinkedIn to see how many clicks I got on an article I posted. Just to see if people found it valuable and how far the reach is. Maybe that's maybe that's shallow, but I, I do tend to look at it for that reason. Because you know, I started a blog and I, I kind of want to know, okay, how many people actually found that valuable or actually are looking at it. But you know, when you when you update your status, the, this article says you should update your status daily. I don't know if I agree with daily, but <laughs> it, hopefully because LinkedIn is supposed to be about professional networking. And I think that if we look at these things in terms of how the platform is supposed to be leveraged, maybe it makes some sort of sense, but I wouldn't update my status unless I felt like I had something valuable to share. You know, it's not, Mm. it's not the same as Facebook. Mm -hmm. You're, you're not there to say, Oh dude, I got these new kicks today and they're awesome. And I feel like Michael Jordan, you know, that's not, that's not what you should do. Maybe it's sharing an article you found or sharing a story or who knows.
0: Yeah. Side note, Nick, do you legitimately mm-hmm. call your shoes your kicks?
1: No, no, I okay. don't.
0: Just double checking.
1: Do you I find at least a lot that I get these LinkedIn requests from people that I don't know a lot of the time. And if you're talking about accepting connection requests. Maybe you shouldn't accept connection requests from just anybody because we both know as IT pros there are social engineering attacks to people in armed positions and different positions in companies, especially higher-ups, who would try to make you think they were someone they weren't
0: sure,
1: and try to get some information about your company that could help them break in and steal some information. So you certainly want to be a little cautious. I mean – You're not going to be able to personally know everyone that sends you a connection request, right? Very true. It's just not – you probably haven't met everyone face-to-face that sends you connection requests. Very true. But they may be a friend of a friend or someone who saw something you wrote. Oh, man, what if it's a recruiter, John?
0: Do you accept (laughs)
1: the request from a recruiter if it's going to show up in your activity feed and your boss is going to see it? That's a
0: no-no, isn't it? (laughs) That's funny that you say that. I, I think usually I don't. (laughs) Except recruiters, right? And and honestly, like uh, you know, my boss generally is one of the first people, you know, that is on my uh, list of people that you know, if I start a new job, I've probably connected with you know the the hiring manager, you know, right after I accepted the position, right, signed signed the letter, the offer letter, Mm -hmm. um, and informed my old you know place of work that you know, I'm leaving as I'm giving my notice, that's probably, you know, a good time to start, you know, uh, making that LinkedIn connection with your new hiring manager. Um, so, you know, they already are on my list of people who can see all my connections. So, you know, I, you know, in theory they could dump a list of your connections and, you know, once a week and, See who's new right, and uh sure, and if the new people are all recruiters, then you're probably looking for a job <laughs> <laughs> so in general, I don't accept requests from recruiters unless it's uh you know i don't know if i I don't know, I guess I just generally don't so yeah, i don't I don't know who's uh you know comes up with uh you know, I I guess every person needs to come up with a list of things that they need to see on a profile in order to accept a connection request in general, you know, I want to see a complete profile. Um, I want to see, you know, that they're in, you know, maybe vaguely the same industry as me or that they know somebody that I know. So I'll definitely send LinkedIn requests to people that, you know, are maybe personal friends with, uh, my friends and family, that happen to work in the same industry and I'll and I'll attach a little note and say, hey, you know, I you know, my wife mentioned that she just had a contact, you know, conversation with you and um, you know, we live in the same area or we work, you know, doing the same type of thing. I just wanted to reach out and connect. It you know, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that I want to recruit them. I'm not a recruiter, but uh, you know, I do want to have them as a professional contact. So um, you know, that's, you know, if somebody does that to me, Hey, you know, you just talked to a buddy of mine and I want it, you know, he mentioned it to me and I wanted to reach out to you and I'm like, okay, yeah, I did just talk to that person. And it makes sense that this person would know that person and sure, I'll evaluate it. You know, I, I probably want to see a complete profile, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, that's probably the thing that you know, I want, you know, and then, uh, if it's somebody who's not connected to me in any way that I can tell, and they live in a completely different geographic area for me like maybe in you know Italy and you know I can't you know their uh, profiles in Italian you know then I'll probably <laughs> say no like you know jeez you know I don't know who you are I you know I can't tell you know why you're trying to reach out to me you didn't attach a note explaining I'm probably going to ignore
1: yeah that makes sense and hopefully you weren't using the word connect is a sales buzzword. When can we connect to talk about your project?
0: <laughs> don't
1: you love, love that. the, you've just talked to a vendor for the first time and then the sales rep sends you a LinkedIn request. That's that's great. Oh, I mean, man. that's classic. That, you know, I generally that? don't accept those.
0: That's, what's funny about that is I do that all the time. <laughs> Anytime I'm in a meeting with people and they work for a company that I, you know, am the systems engineer on everybody in the meeting, I send them a connection request. Uh, Just, it's just like standard practice for me now. Um, And I'll probably attach the note, Hey, we're in the same meeting right now. Like while we're in the meeting, (laughs) right. Especially if I'm, if I'm not talking uh, at all in the meeting, (laughs) then I'll do it. And they respond with
1: glad to see you're listening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh
1: man! So maybe I have some uh, bad taste in my mouth from that sort of behavior. But well, if it's a cold I, I call, right? I don't like, normally accept those.
0: Like you know, like somebody like cold calls you and then sends yeah. you a LinkedIn re- request immediately. Then that's like, well, I don't know why you're trying to connect with me. Like I, you know, <laughs> I wasn't interested in your product, or you know, uh, so why would I want to be you know professional contact of yours? But you it know, makes
1: if... more sense after an in-person meeting. I, I get it but the cold call effect is yeah. yeah. And do you, are you someone who just subscribes to email updates on different things happening to your connections? Cause you're going to see, Oh, so-and-so had a work anniversary or a birthday or different things of that nature. Or they, are you going to see that they change jobs because you get a notification there?
0: I think that for my extended, um, You know, people that I know for, um, let me do it in reverse order. The people that are very close to me, if I see that they have like some kind of work anniversary or birthday, generally I'll text them. I will not use LinkedIn as the medium that I reach out to them in, you know, and for the people that I have their phone number, because they are a close personal contact, I'll reach out to them using my close personal contact method of contacting them. Um, if it's somebody, you know, that, you know, is, you know, maybe we work for the same company or we did at one point and we met a couple times and it's kind of this vague, you know, connection, then I'll probably click the thumbs up thing. Right. You know, I want to make sure that I saw that they had this important thing, uh, you know, anniversary or, you know, got a promotion. Usually if they got a promotion, then I'll write something. Like, hey, congratulations. Send them a note or something like that. Maybe using LinkedIn as a as a medium of communication. Um, and then then there's the people who were extended connections like that I didn't actually know, right? And they just reached out to me, or, you know, we were sitting in the same room at some point in time and, you know, had a conversation and, and I initiated a connection. I, I sometimes for for those people I don't say anything, right? Because um, it's just kind of an incidental contact. I don't know, right? But, but that's just me, right? That's not a, um, that's not, uh, like that. I would advocate that that's the right way. I think that's the right way for me right now,
1: anyway. Right, that's the John White methodology. And <laughs> if you want to hear more about John's methodologies or be mentored by John personally, please reach out to Atner Journey. DM us on Twitter because I can sign you up for the program and uh, tell you about pricing and
0: packaging. Oh, my
1: goodness. Just wanted to throw that in there. (laughs) I had to find the right spot, you know.
0: Ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, so those are the three things, right? Update your status daily, accept connection requests daily, and acknowledge connections in your network daily. Daily. Yeah, so this was, you know, again, the title, three things you must do on LinkedIn every day. (laughs) So I think updating your status Like the whole goal behind that was, hey, you know, you have to be front of mind for people in your network in order for them to think of you when, you know, an opportunity that matches you comes up. And I think that that is, you know, I agree with the goal more than I agree with the methodology. So you definitely want to be front of mind uh, for an opportunity, especially if you're looking for an opportunity at that person's company or, you know, whatever you know, opportunity they uncover in order for them to think of you but i don't know that a daily status update is the correct methodology to be front of mind um, in general i find a daily update to be a little bit closer to noise what i want is consistent quality updates from people yeah rather than daily updates does that make more sense yeah
1: i mean You don't need to say things like, oh, made it to work on
0: time today, yeehaw. (laughs) I don't
1: don't think that's what you want to be throwing in there because I think you're going to run out of stuff to say on a professional networking platform.
0: Honestly, I think that if you do that too often on LinkedIn, then people will just like mute you, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. the equivalent of that on the LinkedIn platform is, you know, unfollow or whatever, Right. And so I think that coming across, you know, information that is actually valuable to people, I think is probably way more important than a daily update. Now, that being said, I think a consistent update is also really important. But I think Mm -hmm. consistent quality is not something that is necessarily come across every day.
1: Right. I mean, if, if you have helpful things to share every single day to people who might come across it, Kudos to you. Yeah, I just I don't have that kind of depth in my library yet.
0: This is very true. It's very true.
1: I think it's because I'm busy checking for uh, analytics on, on past posts. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's neither here nor there. I that's mean,
0: that's your main problem. Yeah, your judgment free zone, problem. John. Judgment <laughs> free zone. Heavy judgment right here. Heavy <laughs> judgment. <laughs> that's right. uh Accepting your connection requests every day. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know. I think that it also makes sense to not interrupt everything that you're doing to immediately decide whether you're going to accept somebody's request, right? Cause that's too many interruptions a day. Yes. Um, but putting it off and saying like, Hey, at seven I'm going to review LinkedIn for 15 minutes. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And then acknowledging connections maybe in that same time makes a lot of sense. Right.
1: Cause you know, you're, you're going to see those updates at the same time you would, get your connection request yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and push notifications like you said don't turn them on for everything like this can really be distracting
0: (laughs) oh yeah definitely definitely and uh productivity goes down as interruptions go up so don't do it don't do it i think uh that's all the topics we had planned Uh, anything else pop into your mind while we talked
1: no sir just a reminder we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on itunes or wherever you're listening and we want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder you can find us collectively on twitter at nerd journey and don't forget about the john white school of mentoring i'll just toss that out again
0: <laughs> hopefully we're broadcasting that's cool
1: yeah absolutely
0: cool well uh, farewell listeners tune in next time as that journey continues i'm john white on Twitter at Bjourneyman, to Nick Cordy at network underscore signing off thanks a lot
1: see you next time